0: We are shifting a little bit as we move into chapter 2, and if you're following in your uh, outline, you can see that. But uh, Paul has presented Jesus uh, in a majestic way, one of the most, I think, significant descriptions of the doctrine of of Jesus, who he is and so on, in chapter 1. After that magnificent prayer, now he's beginning to address certain very specific issues. and the preeminence of Jesus over philosophy. And we spent a lot of time on that last week, so I'm not going to go over all of that again, as he really stressed. Whatever, whatever you think about in terms of understanding or knowledge of God's mystery, it must begin with Christ, as he said in verse 2. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Verse 3. Say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I'm absent body, I'm with you in my spirit, rejoicing in your good order and firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, so based on what he's just declared about Christ, he brings this into how do I apply all of this to my life? And so what I did, uh, so let me, the structure of this is really important. So I, I took some of, of the paper that First National has so graciously provided for us. They had a really good quarter last quarter, so we're using some of that money. <laughs> You're supposed to laugh at that, but nobody's getting. But anyway, that's I always kid Joel about that. But anyway, just as you received, that's past tense. The verb is past tense, and it's referring to justification so this is step one just as you receive so as he's writing to the caution church <clears throat> correctly he's making the assumption they're believers correctly he's making the assumption that you know the vast majority of them in the church have made this step but that's step one step two he says therefore just as you received him next step so walk in him and so if you want to talk about it in the way that the Apostle Paul talks about it in the book of Romans he would say something like this as you were justified by your faith in Jesus Christ past tense now walk it's a continuous present now that may or not mean any, may or may not mean anything to you but the verb tense is a present tense but it's a continuous present in other words the idea is an ongoing and the word walk there is uh, it's very but it's the normal the normal verb you use to describe somebody walking. So he's he's saying this isn't something extraordinary. This isn't something unusual. This is the pattern that a believer is supposed to follow in his or her life. So as you receive Jesus, past tense, justification, so now present tense begin to walk in him. And so that is the, now the normal walk of the leader. What does it look like? So what he does, and the grammar of this is so clear in the original language. The grammar is he has four, four participles flowing out of this verb, and it describes the manner of walk. What does that walk look like? Well, it's got four characteristics. Now, I numbered them in the order in which they appear in the text, and you can see I in a mistake. I put four before three, so I numbered them. First, you're rooted in Jesus. Second, you're being built up in Jesus. Third, you're established or strengthened in your faith, and we'll talk about that. And then finally, you're abounding in all thankfulness. So, this is a tremendous. I mean, it's really, it's a remarkable verse. It, it really is. It's summarizing the two great doctrines of salvation that are so central to our life: justification and sanctification. But it's Talking about what what does this look like for us? So again, just as you receive past tense, now walk present tense, and they're in the continuous present. This isn't a one-time act, this is a continuous. This is what your life now looks like. And it's that what you know, as Paul describes it in the book of Romans, it's that process of sanctification. So I think I can move from this sheet now. To this sheet and talk about them. Okay? So, are you with me? Do you understand what Paul's doing here? He's bringing it to a conclusion, he's bringing it to a conclusion his discussion about the superiority of Christ. Now, what's the practical application of this? It is that as you received him, Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Uh, New International Version translates that live in him. So rooted, and that's that's the first verb. It's the first uh, participle, actually. It's the first word, rooted. Okay, that's an agricultural metaphor, a a figure of speech that appeals to agriculture. What does that mean? Rooted. Unpack that figure of speech. Rooted. Okay, it's growing. So the uh, The stable the stability of a plant above the ground is determined by what's going on beneath the ground. Yesterday, uh, I got home uh, and uh, it' was middle of the afternoon, and Peggy said, "Honey, would you do something for me what what it resulted in two and a half hours, but it was all right. Now, a lot of her flowers are starting to reflect the cooler weather and we're you know what's telling it's going to happen tomorrow and and, and Friday it's gonna devastate all our plants. So she has these zinnias, I don't know if you know what zinnias are, but her zinnias this year were taller than I am. I mean, these things are huge and their stems are about this thick. So, you know, I oh, this will be easy. Well, I had the recycling bag there. Pulling these things out because, you know, they've been in, in the ground all summer. Their they're ball of roots about this big and it's fairly deep about this deep. And, uh then I pulled my tomato plants or shot, so I pulled them out. And some of their roots, I, I pulled roots out of my tomato plants this long. And so I, I and the reason I'm saying all that is as I was doing it yesterday, I was thinking about this verse that we were going to study today. Because that is exactly what Paul is writing, as you know, in the first century, this is largely an agricultural society. So when they see this figure speak, oh yeah, I get it. So If you really want to paraphrase it, it would be something like, let your root system sink deeply into Jesus. Because what does a root do?
1: It feeds the plant.
0: It feeds the plant. It it draws the nourishment from the soil. And that's why sometimes, as Peggy did, you fertilize. She feeds them with, I don't know what it is, some product that she mixes and feeds them. And it makes, I mean, they really are spectacular in their growth. And the flowers this summer were absolutely gorgeous. But I'm saying all that because you don't see what's going on beneath. But what's going on beneath is critical to what's going on above. And so, it, you know, the moisture that's needed, the food, nutrients if needed, and just this fantastic way in which God did it, it just brings all the growth to the top. So you see, oh, so I need to sink my root system deep into Jesus, because I will draw my spiritual nourishment from Him. And so, when you really understand and unpack that figure of speech, isn't that wonderful? That's that's a it's a wonderful thought. I'm not sinking my roots deep into just fill in the blank, whatever you want to talk about, something, some system, some. Uh, Entertainment or, you know, some of the things that can actually end up enslaving us. No, 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 no. I am now justified. That's my new position in Christ. Therefore, as I start to grow, my walk is going to be drawing on him, the nutrients he offers. Okay, what does that imply for us? Well we need to focus more. And how do you focus more on Jesus? What is a test? In his word. You can't draw on the nutrients, spiritually speaking, the spiritual nutrients that Christ offers if you're not spending time in his word. I mean, it's just it's not going to happen. You're not going to do it by, by reading, well, I don't know, whatever you want to fill in there, whether it's Oprah or any of the Dr. Oz or self-help books or any of the stuff. Outside. They may have one or two good thoughts, but the point is, your spiritual growth is dependent on where you're getting your nutrients. And if you're not getting your nutrients from God's Word, what's the conclusion? You're not going to grow. And you'll you'll almost like die on the vine, so to speak. So, I mean, you, you say, oh, you, you know, I really understand this. And I mean, you should. Your response should be, "I, I really, I really get what this means." And that's where so many, and uh, this is a broad statement, but so many come to faith in Christ, and they really don't grow very much. Their 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 spiritual fruit is almost negligible because they're not rooted in Jesus. And so it becomes it becomes a you turn this into an exhortation I need to spend time with Jesus each day now that's not a legalistic point, it's just saying that what you need to do is have the desire to grow in him and to desire to grow in him means you have to have a place where you get your nutrients, which means you're going to have to spend some time with him because you want to spend time with him well,
1: Jim, that's one of the key elements and that's the beginning element Listen, what, what are some of the other things that you would point to as uh, that abuts and supports that in addition to reading it? Are, so we can read it, we can then study it, right? But then, I mean, what else do we do?
0: Well, I mean, the, the, the things that... Scripture also admonishes us to do. Do not neglect the gathering of the saints, as some are prone to do. Hebrews chapter 10. Being involved in local church is really important. I have an idea. (laughs) Yes, sir. Um, That
1: I can apply to myself. I mean, I have many interests, but maybe I should not be so interested in some of the other ones that that don't include the really in the study in other words, I enjoyed certain things on TV. It got nothing to do with the Word. You know, maybe I ought to focus more
0: on this than what I'm doing. <clears throat> Distractions, will keep me awake? Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's not necessarily, Woody, I know you don't mean this, but a call that now we spend almost all of our waking hours in the Word of God. that that is not what the Lord is necessarily, calls because there are other things we're stewarding, other things we're responsible for. You know, you're a parent, you're raising your children. If you're married, you have spouse obligations. And if you have a job or even in retirement as you're involved, all those things are stewardship issues for you. But I think, Woody, it, to me, it's not so much, it is not so much assigning an amount of time to this. Well, if you're not spending an hour with the word of God, you're not really being obedient to Jesus. Please don't let somebody tell you that. That's not, they have no authority to say that to you because where does it say in the Bible an hour a day is what? You're, it doesn't say that. So it's the priority is not the amount of time, but the priority is I want to spend time with the Lord Jesus every day you determine in terms of your schedule and where you are in your life because what you do now having just turned 83 is a bit different than what you did when you were 60 and that that's okay there's nothing wrong with that it's just now you're adjusting but you're still making that your priority your priority is that however much time that involves that's your decision god isn't saying Now listen. If you don't spend an hour or two with me each morning, I don't love you like I used to. And you know, no nowhere will you find that in the scriptures. So it's loving Jesus is just like loving anyone. You desire to spend time with them. What that does? What does that mean? I mean, and it doesn't. You know, it's like now these are human relationships. But I'll never. Seven and a half years ago, when I retired, and I, I was beginning to talk about what my life was going to look like cuz i already had taken position at part-time at my at my church. And Peggy asked me, this now, now how many days are you going to be home?" That was not a question of, "I'm really excited about you being home every day." That wasn't the intent of that question. It was, "Now, how many days are you going to be here?" You know. <laughs> and I mean, I love my life and married, but it was it was she has her own priorities, her own schedule. She's involved in a number of things, and so it was just, it was just that was really an interesting question for, for me to process as her husband because it was very because when, you know when I before I retired I was very busy gone most weekends and things like that, so she was kind of used to me not being around. That was good for her. And she, I mean, in a sense, she developed a lot of things on her own that were her ministries and so on, and so it was just really funny that you. Know, you Just because you love someone doesn't mean necessarily you're going to spend 24-7 with them. So God is not saying 24-7. What God is saying, our relationship is 24-7. Talk to me all the time. It's called prayer. And begin to renew your mind, which means spending time in His word. Renewing your will, which means I'm learning what it means to act responsibly in loving obedience to what he's asking me to do in my heart. My will and my desires are being cleansed and renewed. That's the process of but it requires being rooted in Christ. And so it's the kind, we you and I live, all of us, we live at a time uh, in terms of the resources where there are so many resources available for us to help us in this. Whether it's devotionals or study books or I mean, that are just and they're all based on the Word of God that are so helpful in helping us to accomplish, facilitate us in accomplishing, being rooted in Christ. So um, th- that's why that is, these are these are ordinal. These are listed in an order that's important. And that's why I apologize when I was writing, I skipped number three. So I just put that that way. So, okay, rooted. So you have this, yeah, I, if I'm going to grow spiritually, my nutrients... Spiritual nutrients have to come from Christ, which means I need to spend time in his work. I need to spend time with him. I'm talking to him all the time. And that's not just that time of prayer that you might have in the morning or evening whenever you, you do do some of your praying intentionally. There's just that ongoing conversation. So that's that intense, deep-seated, wonderful, intimate relationship with him. But if you're not doing that, you're not going to grow Then he says, build up in him. So to me, that's really interesting. Paul switches metaphors. He switches figures of speech. He's got an agricultural metaphor rooted. You're letting your roots sink deeply into him and drawing your nutrients. Then he switches to a construction metaphor, a building metaphor. Built up in him. Now, I mean, that's not hard to understand, but I, really, I, want, to, I want to take time on this. I want to make sure you don't miss this. This is the plan that God has for us. If we want to grow in him, this is a, this is a plan coming through Paul. So when you see build up, what does, what, is that, what does that conjure up in your mind as you try to unpack that figure of speech, that metaphor being built up? But what comes to mind? Strength. Strength.
1: Your outward, your outward appearance, your, the, the things that people see and, and so okay. as, you're, as you're walking uh, through, a, uh, through a mall and, and uh, I find this now that uh, people look at me it, and smile and they survive. It's just yeah. you know? yeah. And it's it's something I'm emanating, it's Christ Good. It's
0: emanating yeah. me. Excellent, excellent. That's right. So built up is another way of talking about our growth, isn't it? It's just another way of talking about our growth. And it's the things that will characterize your growth. So, I mean, it's just fact. Paul could have said, laying your foundation in Christ. That's not what he did. He said, rooted in Christ. And I think he chose that because very much the idea of the nutrients that you need to grow spiritually are in God's Word, in your relationship with Him. And you're just constantly drawing on those. But as you constantly draw on those, what's above the surface, your life, is going to start to show growth. And so there's this, and again, you think about it, there's this structure being built. First National Tower in Omaha, Nebraska is being built. <laughs> That's supposed to be a joke. Nobody got it. But I mean, <laughs> but it's, it's this the idea that... Growth will result. If the nutrients are vital, growth will result. And so you're building your life. Jesus says it in in Matthew 7, another way. Don't build your house on what? Sand. Sand. Build your house on rock, which of course is him. So I mean either either way you, you get the point. So the result is build up you're growing (coughs) again there you're sort of mixing metaphors again but you're growing it's being built but this is a solid structure it will endure all of the stuff of life we still live in a fallen broken world the stuff of life can be hard a very very dear friend of mine he started with prostate cancer and now it's in his sternum it's on his spine This morning, I haven't heard the result yet. MRI, they think it's in his brain. They know there's some spots in his liver. He's lost 25 pounds almost. Uh, He's really, really a wonderful guy. Very, very dear friend of mine. It's hard to see what's happening to his body. But he's built up in Christ, his faith is solid. He and his wife—it's hard, there are tears, but there's the hope that, that 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 Jesus promised, I'll never leave you or forsake you. All of those things very much informing how they're dealing with this. Why? Because they they have grown up in the Lord. It's been years and years and years together, as well as individually. They're, so this this terrible shot that life's giving them—they're they're tremendous testimony of what does maturity in Christ look like. And you see that, and so it's again just this is what sanctification is. By the way, these are commands; these aren't you know little suggestions. This is how we are supposed to approach our life. Uh,
1: You you alluded to your friend, and I think of Bill Wright. He was told by Dr. Bill, "This is true; you're not going to survive this," and he was delighted doctor it was, how is this
0: yeah.
1: he said I'm I'm boring I, I know it won't be long and I'm really looking going to it mm-hmm. yeah. and it was tough to go through it but he knew that there was a treasure laid
0: out I mean you think of uh you're maybe not as familiar with this name, but James Montgomery Boyce, who was pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, Donald B. Barnhouse, Barnhouse's old church. And he had a radio ministry, which is still going on, by the way, uh, even though he passed away. But he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and he announced it to his congregation. But he announced it in a jubilant way. There were several specific hymns he wanted sung because he is... You know, as the Lord, he is ready for whatever God has for him or whatever life's going to throw at him, he's ready because his faith is established and he knows where he's going. And so that's that's that results from being rooted and built up. You know, it's still hard. I mean, that, that was a bit, and he suffered like like Bright did, he suffered very, very intense. Months and months of, of lots of pain and, and just a real, real difficult time. But it, Paul is saying, this is this is the path now you follow. Your walk is, and you can see you got three metaphors all mixed together: walk, rooted, build up. You know, they, but that's okay. You really get what he's saying. So, th- then what? Then what? Translations differ here. Some have established in the faith. Some have strengthened in the faith. I chose to use the word established. Now, let's let's talk about this. This is a really important point. Don't miss this. When he says established or strengthened in the faith, what does he mean by faith? The act of faith when you put your faith in Jesus Christ and trust him for salvation, or does he mean faith as that expression of Christian belief that we call doctrine? The Christian faith. First one or the second
1: one?
0: The second one. You're established in the faith. It isn't just your act of faith, which is then the beginning of a life of faith, but it also is involving in the faith. It's a definite article. In the faith. So that is the Christian faith. What does it mean to be a Christian? What is the belief <coughs> system of a Christian? And that's why being rooted and being built up results in an understanding of the faith. What all means. So that means you begin to understand the major tenets of doctrine. Who is God? God is Trinity. Who is Jesus? Holy God, holy man. Who is the Holy Spirit? I mean... And so you begin, you're beginning to understand these things that are part of God's revelation to us. And that's one of the reasons why, if I can do a quick bunny trail, in First and 2 Timothy and in Titus, we sometimes call those the pastoral epistles, Paul uses this phrase countless times, sound doctrine. And he says Timothy and Titus are his protégés. And, and you know they are now leading churches on Crete and in Ephesus, respectively. And he just he says, to them, "Okay, guys, I'm getting ready to go back to the Father, or I'm getting ready to go to the Father." He's about to die. And Second Timothy was written about a month and a half before he was executed. So I mean, he's saying right at the end of his life, he's saying, "Listen, guys, teach sound doctrine to your people, because sound doctrine is the key to godly living." Now, if that was true in A.D. sixty-seven, sixty-eight, is that true in A.D. 2019? Yes. No. Are all churches following that exhortation? Tragically they're not. And that, that, to me that is very sad because you cannot read the New Testament material and come away from reading and studying that and say, doctrine doesn't matter. Then you haven't read it very well. <laughs> you must have skimmed it or speed read it and missed everything. Because doctrine is central. It is what we believe. And so Paul keeps saying, guys, teach sound doctrine. And sound, the Greek word for sound means healthy. That which is conducive to spiritual health. So you just see, whoa, okay, I'm sure really get this. So one of the results of being rooted and built up is established in the faith, in the faith, the Christian faith. And so um, that's why next week I'm going to give you a pop quiz on the five key doctrines of the church. And if you don't get 100%, God is really going to be displeased with you. None of that that I just said is true. I'm not going to do that. And God is not, don't, that's, don't want you to feel threatened by that. But I, I want you to, uh, to me, is, that's why this verse, to me it's one of my favorite verses in the whole New Testament. Because it summarizes, in a way, verse 6, verse 6 and, and, and into verse 7 is a summary of the whole book of Romans. <laughs> I mean, really, it's like a summary of the whole book. And it's just, it's so profound in its in its simplicity. So he says, build up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught. So there again, this is the idea of the Christian faith, which we taught you. Then he concludes. There's one more participle. One more manner of your walk, one more characteristic of your walk, abounding in thanksgiving, and that. That term abounding is you would no doubt figure out. That term abounding means absolutely overflowing. It's like a river overflowing as its banks. Like it's happened this summer tragically. <laughs> some of the flooding. But I mean it's a super abundant Thanksgiving. Hmm. That doesn't have anything to do with the national day that we celebrate the uh, in, in the end of November each year. That's just a day, abounding in thanksgiving. Let's, let's think about that in another way, abounding. It's super abundant, overflowing life of thanksgiving. It's a pretty nice description of American Christians, isn't it? Nobody got what I said without resort. Abounding in thanksgiving—that's a pretty good description of American evangelical Christians, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I'm hoping somebody was going to say no. It really isn't, you know. What? Why? A couple of you have questions. I'll get to them in a minute. But why choose that virtue? Abounding in thanksgiving. Why did he choose that one? He didn't want to be virtue. He could have chosen peace, patience, love. He could have chosen a lot of virtues, but abounding in thanksgiving, rooted, built up, established in the faith. You're well grounded now in faith. What what the major beliefs are, and finally, which we were, t- which we taught you. Fourth and finally, abounding, super abundant, overflowing life of thanksgiving.
1: It defines that person. Is that what you're asking? I mean, uh,
0: I'm, yeah, I'm asking why use that virtue. It it should define that person, Rob? It
1: seems like it's a, it's a natural result of the four steps. The fourth one is I'm thinking you're judged by your fruits.
0: If you're abounding in thanksgiving that I, and i do connect that a
1: little bit with evangelical evangelism but you know it's because it, hopefully it's because you're producing they're overflowing with good fruit okay i excited about what you now believe
0: okay thanks for thanksgiving guys always has an object doesn't it to whom are you expressing thanks? God. To the Lord, for all that he's done for you. So it's it's a thank... Let's, um, let's look at it from another vantage point. You're characterized by a thankful spirit. Thankfulness defines you. Thankfulness to the Lord. And therefore, thankfulness for all he's done for you. Thankful for each day of life that he gives you. Thankful for the food that he gives you. Thankful, thankful for the, the good water that you're able to drink. You're not, you're not gonna get typhoid or cholera like many parts of the world can by drinking polluted water. You see what I'm saying? Thank- because, let's really push this. What's the opposite of a thankful spirit? What's that? Unbaked. Unthankful. <laughs> but what are some other words we use that really embellish an unthankful spirit?
1: Ungrateful.
0: Ungratefulness. Ungratefulness.
1: Yeah, ingratitude.
0: Okay. Yeah, use some real strong words here. Grumbling, griping, complaining, murmuring. Do you remember ancient Israel? They're on. they're, they're headed to the promised land. They've just been liberated from four hundred and thirty years of bondage, and what characterizes them constantly and continuously is a thankful spirit to God for freeing them. Right? No, No, Uh,
1: they were complaining. No, that
0: isn't. Oh, that we were back in in Egypt where there are cucumbers and dills and pizza and Reese's peanut butter cups and peanut butter ice cream. Those last three I made up. But, I mean, that's, so they're, you know, instead of looking forward for what God has promised them, they're looking backward, And this is an enormous challenge. We always talk about the good old days. It really was much better back then than it is tomorrow. The believer is always focused on the future. But so many of us go into the future with our foot on the pedal and our eye in the rearview mirror. We're looking back, and that's that's hindrance. It's a hindrance to us because back there is our habits and patterns of sin that we don't want to. We don't want to delve into that anymore. And I'm just saying, what Paul is saying is, as you are rooted, you're drawing your spiritual nutrients from Jesus as your new creation life is being constructed now, you're also beginning to find your strength in a greater understanding of who God is, what he's doing in this world. What does it mean to be his child? What are the promises? That's Christian doctrine. And the result of this is going to be, wow, every day I have to be abounding in thanksgiving to the Lord. Why would I gripe and complain? The more I know about him and what he's doing, I should just be bubbling over Thanksgiving. That's why that cheerful, joyous, and it's hard sometimes. Peggy always tells me. I mean, she just jabs me in the. You know, she just just I got bruises all over my side. I'm kidding, but honey, smile, smile more. And the reason is because I'm a, I'm a very intense person. I, I'm, you know, I'm really intense. I'm very focused on the things I do. And sometimes I forget that I am really thankful. I really am. But, you know, I'm so intent. I'm thinking about this and focusing on it. I'm walking down the street, working through a theological principle or something, and somebody bumps into me and says, are, are, are you all right? Is this happening? Are you all right? Well, I'm good. I'm really fine. You know, it's just, but it's that thankful spirit is just, it should just exude. Now, our personalities and temperaments are all different. It's going to look a little different in some ways. But in your heart, there is just instead of the grumbling, murmuring, griping, there is the thankfulness to God. And the result of that, another way to think about it, is what Paul talks about in First Philippians four is a contentment about life. A contentment. And that's one of the tragedies, even in the church today instead of thankfulness there is a lot of griping and grumbling and murmuring and complaining and that shouldn't be that way but so I mean you know I think I'm done now with what I want to say about this verse but it, well really two verses but aren't they magnificent verses they just summarize so much of the truth at a practical level of what it means to be a Christian it isn't just fire insurance okay we we trust Christ, now we're secure for eternity. I'm not going to go to the lake of fire. My goodness, if that's how you look at it, you're missing out on so much. It's a whole life. And that that life is called the life of sanctification by the Apostle Paul. And here, here's what, here's how we should look at it. And I, I just think it's quite wonderful. Yeah, friend. If you're
1: not abounding...
0: Yeah, I mean, in a way, that's, that's really true. To be griping and complaining, yeah, I mean, that's a very blunt way to put it. But in a way, that is really true. It's you're 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 so out of sync with what God wants to do, and uh, that is one of the that is one of the tragedies that so often, not always, there's so many ebullient, wonderful <coughs> believers that sometimes that is, and it's it's very common more so in America and you get outside if any of you've traveled you get outside of America and you're with Christians who do not have a lot materially they're some of the most joyous people to be around because they understand what Paul's talking about here and, and they live it in a way where competing with Jesus in their lives is not material things. that's all they have all they have is Jesus and that makes such a difference so. Anything else before we... This is just... This is one of those... That's two verses. This is one of those small passages to just almost memorize. This is my assignment. I received Him. I put my faith in Him. I'm justified. Now what? Walk in Him. The normal, daily routine. Walk in Him. Rooted in Him, you're drawing your spiritual nutrition from Him. And the result is, your new life is being built. Your new creation is being built. And the result of that, then, is you're beginning to understand more and more of who you are, because you're being taught the Christian faith, as Paul says here. And, you know, I'm I'm just going to say one thing. That's why it is really important, the church, you choose to be involved in. Because that church should be teaching you the things of God. Because that, there, there's no... <laughs> Establishing the faith, training the justice you were taught. I mean, I, that's not ambiguous. Now, what does he mean by that? It's very clear what he means by that. And then, then the fourth one, which I find the hardest, practically speaking, is abounding in thanksgiving. A thankful spirit for everything that you have. Okay? Yes, Right.
1: So... Actually, when you're, you're your intense, you are actually
0: personally abounding. <laughs> Thank you. for Help not, me rationalize that. No, but does save souls, but He preserves personalities? Well, that yes, He does. You're, you're right. He does. Our personalities remain the same. That's yep. That's true. Now let's move into the next little thought here. Where uh, boy, again, there's just so. So much here. Uh, I've got about 12:30. See to it. All right. Now you must keep in mind what he just said in six and seven. This command: see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. Now that little word "captive" is 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 quite a wonderful word. It was used in the Greco-Roman world of piracy where a pirate would cause a ship to stop in the middle of the Mediterranean and then you'd plunder that ship. You'd take everything off that ship. So you, you follow what... You, that, that's a, he's really using an intense, strong, quite, quite significant term here. Don't let anyone pull up alongside you and attempt to unload all the spiritual cargo of your life. Are you following the figure of speech? That's what he's saying there. Don't let anyone do that because their strategy is going to be empty, deceitful philosophy an empty, deceitful worldview, an empty, deceitful set of teachings that are outside of Christ. So the implication seems to be, as we have given ourselves to Christ, in whom is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, verse 3, and we are rooted in drawing our spiritual nutrients from them, the new creation structure is being built, and we know Christian doctrine, they're not going to be successful in doing this. So in order for verse 8 to make sense, verse 6 and 7 have got to apply to your life. Because no one's going to be able to come up alongside you like a pirate comes think of Johnny Depp and Paris of the Caribbean, now, uh, coming up alongside you and forcing you to empty all your spiritual con- cargo because they are saying through empty, deceitful philosophy what you believe is wrong. I have the truth for you. Do you understand how he's t- t- talking about this? As you unpack the figure, you really get it. So let's talk. let's talk a little bit about this. Because he's going to say three things about this empty deceitful. That, By the way, empty, that's a hen deities, Aren't you glad I told you that? It means empty deceit modifies philosophy. In other words, an empty deceitful philosophy. An empty deceitful set of teachings that they are saying is wise. Okay, let's talk about that. When he uses the term empty, what does that conjure up? You're making it harder than it is. It's no it, What? No okay. If it's an empty teaching, what's it empty of? Christ, substance,
1: substance. Christ. substance.
0: substance. a stronger word. It might have substance. Light how about capital T R U T H. Truth. It's empty of truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's empty. So presumably it's empty of all of the teachings of Jesus about Jesus. And that's why the, any world view, the very first question you should always ask, how do you understand Jesus? To you, who is Jesus? The other things I uh, will talk about, I want to know right now, what's your view of Jesus? How do you understand Jesus? Explain to me what you believe about Jesus. That will tell you whether it's empty and deceitful. Well, I believe he was a great teacher. Is that all? Yeah. Okay, I'll see it. We and I probably don't have much to talk about unless you really want to talk about it because that is not true. I don't believe that. The Bible, my base of of truth, doesn't say that at all. He's far, 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 far more than empty. You want to talk more about that? Because I can share with you what the truth is. No, that's my belief. Sorry, we don't have much to talk about. Because you have an empty worldview. So, again, empty. It has no truth in it, it's void of truth. What's deceitful? Empty, deceitful philosophy. What's deceit? False. False. Ah, stronger luring. Somebody said something. Lying. Lying. Okay. Huh? Yeah, and yeah, made up. If, if let's let's take Fred's word, luring. Something is deceitful. Is promising you something that it can't deliver. It's 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 promising you either something very specific, something very physical, or what material, or whatever, but it can't deliver it.
1: Now, fraudulent and um, uh, seductive.
0: Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Trickery. Right. Exactly. Who is the, the Bible says that? Who is the master of deceit? Satan. Satan is the master of deceit, and so, and, and you, I mean, you see that right away in, in Genesis chapter three. That's why it says in the scriptures that Eve was deceived. And when she it responds to Satan's initial question in verse one and two of chapter three, she makes three mistakes in her answer. And my oh my, when Satan hears that, what does he conclude? this woman is not characterized, now I'm going to put it in the context of our studying, the Colossians, this woman is not characterized by verse 6 and verse 7. I've got her. And so immediately in his deceitful methodology, he takes it to the step of a doubt. God didn't say you will die. Yes, he did. No. He didn't say he would die. You know, what what this really means is he doesn't have your best interests at heart. He's hiding something from you. What what he knows and what you don't know and what he's hiding from you is when you eat of that fruit on that tree right there, you're going to become like him. (gasps) Really? Wow! And so what would she do? She took it. See, that's, Satan is so... He's a master at that. Did God really say that to you? Is that really a promise he made to you? That he's going to come back to you? He promised that to you? Uh, have you looked at the calendar lately? It's 2,000 years. You still believe that? Nobody believes that anymore. So you're hanging on to that old, ancient tradition? Nobody believes that. Oh. And you call up a bunch of pastors that came from a theological liberal school and you ask them, should I really believe that Jesus is coming back for me? Well, uh, that's what the early church wanted to believe. And we respect that. That's wonderful. But, you know, we, we don't believe that anymore because we don't believe in the resurrection. That's what the early church wanted to believe. That's what theological liberalism teaches, but that's not really true. But it's okay. It's all right if you believe that. That's fine. And all of a sudden, you're talking. About all these Christian leaders are finding out they don't believe that Jesus is coming back. So immediately, Satan has moved you from this is what I believe to a doubt to, oh my goodness, maybe I should get in pace with the postmodern world and reject it too. Now, hopefully that doesn't happen, because you are rooted, built up, established, and abounding. But empty, deceitful teaching, if you are not well-grounded, can exactly do what I just described. What Satan did with Eve and what Satan has done for millions, well, billions, I guess, in the whole history of humanity. Billions and billions of people. Convince them that God is a liar. But what does Jesus say? Satan is a liar and a liar from the beginning. Don't believe him. And so the antidote to all of this is verse 6 and verse 7. Because then you will not be taken captive. Nobody's going to come up along the side of your ship like the pirates did and unload all your spiritual cargo through empty deceitful teaching. There is no, that's why this is such a fabulous little book. There's no greater admonition for the church of Jesus Christ in the 21st century than this. Because the guarantee of floundering is verse 6 and verse 7. Now, we've got a few minutes, and we we'll won't get this done. But if you go to the next, and please look at the structure of this. Empty, deceitful philosophy, it has three characteristics to it. And each one is marked by according to. In Greek, it's kata. It's a standard. According to this standard. Standard number one. This empty, deceitful worldview is anchored in human tradition. So where is its source? Human Tradition. Second, according, this is a little more difficult, ESV translates it, I think quite wonderfully actually, but translates it according to the elementary, elemental spirits (laughs) of the world. Elemental (coughs) spirits is the Greek word stoicheia, sometimes translated basic principles, but in the ancient world, ancient persia for example ancient mesopotamia was used of demonic power so what's the second principle that governed this empty deceitful philosophy it's rooted in satan's teachings it's demonic and then thirdly negatively it's not According to Christ, He tells you what its roots are: human tradition and demonic power, not Jesus. So you see, if verse six and verse seven characterizes you, then these false teachers bringing their ship like pirates up alongside of your ship and wanting to unload your spiritual cargo, what are you going to do? you're going to take your cannon, mark Jesus, and sink the ship. Now, I'm really making this metaphor work, but are you following me? I mean, because you know the truth. Empty deceitful teachings never take root in you. But just think, you know, listen, you take those three characteristics. In every world religion, every worldview, they're the three characteristics. It's based on human tradition, based on demonic power, and it's not based on Jesus. That's why you ask. Any worldview, okay, I want to know one thing right out of the shoot. How do you look at Jesus? To you who's Jesus, explain to me your doctrine of Jesus. I want to hear it. And immediately that'll tell you. Because if that isn't right, the rest of what they're saying is worthless. And so, I mean, this is a tremendous exhortation to wise living in a world filled with false teaching. That was true in A.D., you know, in the early 60s when Paul wrote this. It's true today. There are always, It's always false teaching. It's all around us because Satan is very active. He's a liar and he's a liar from the beginning. So he's going to constantly, 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 constantly putting out new versions of the same story. Every worldview, every... It's, it's new versions, packing a whole bunch of different things around, but it's, it's the same story. Rejecting clear teachings of who Jesus is and what he did. Because if they got it wrong on this, everything else they have to say is worthless. Don't listen. There's, they don't have anything to teach you. Okay? I, I, there's more I wanted to say about this, but the Filipino people call this the God on our wrist, and so uh, we mm-hmm. must bow to that God now. Isn't that terrible for me to say it that way? But we I want to honor that because you have other things to do and I have 115 thing I've got to get to. Are you with me on this? I was hoping to get a little further, but that we didn't, of course, is all your fault. So I just wanted to make sure that next week we'll start right, I want to start right with verse 8 again. I want to write some things up there and, and develop it a little more. But this is a tremendous passage of Scripture. And I hope, you're, I hope you're benefiting from the time we're spending in it. Okay? I mean, what's that? Uh, I'd like to actually start with verse 8 again and just work through that, and I'll put a little something on the board that might help us. Let me pray here. Lord, thank you for uh, another nice fall day. Thank you for creating it and sharing it with us. Thank you for um, the amazing way in which... Uh, you have blessed us through this year. I looked at the calendar on Monday, doing some planning for the rest of the year, and I, I was actually a bit astonished. It isn't that far till Christmas. It's just amazing, and there's so much we have to be thankful for. Thank you for your presence with us. Thank you for these men. I, I believe what we studied in verse six and seven it characterizes them. I want it to characterize them that they have made that decision of faith. They've received Christ as Paul says. They're now justified. And the the process of sanctification is characterized by four things, at least according to this passage. We're rooted in Jesus. We're drawing our spiritual nutrients from him. Our nutrition, spiritually speaking, is the word of God. And it's our ongoing conversation with you. We are allowing you to build the structure. We're building a whole new life. We're a new creation in Christ. And as we're doing that, we're being taught... And we're internalizing the Christian faith, that body of beliefs that we call Christianity. And this is an area, Lord, as you know, is hard for me sometimes, but abounding in thankfulness. A thankful spirit to you for everything. And thankfulness to you for the people you brought into our lives. Thankfulness to you for the people that we work with or in our neighborhood or our family. It's just a thankful spirit about all of the bounties of your blessing. May we be characterized by that. Because Lord, if six and seven characterizes us, no false teacher, no false teaching, no te- television lecturer, no, no, no spokesman, nothing is going to be able to come, along, come alongside our ship like a pirate and unload all our spiritual cargo. They're not going to do it because it's empty, deceitful, lying presentation because it's built on things that don't last. Human tradition, demonic power, and they've rejected Jesus. So they don't have anything to say to us. They have nothing to add to our lives. Maybe we'd be men that are growing in what verse 6 and verse 7 describes. We're men in process, but we're men of faith, We're men who trust you and have confidence in you. And we're men who believe your promise that you're going to come back for us. We look forward to that. And some days we long for it. But until then, help us to be good stewards of everything you've given us, good stewards of our time, because we represent you. May we represent you well in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. See you next week.